You are listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White, and today's episode is called Working From Home. (laughs) No surprise there. And this is for you if you want to master working from home. You really need to listen to this episode because I'm going to walk you through a four-step process to help you to set up a really effective working from home situation so that you can more easily adapt to a new way of doing business from home. Before we start, I want to share a bit of my story with you so that you get some context for this episode. And I'm speaking about this now because I know that a lot of people who are in lockdown are now going to be working from home more often or maybe entirely going forward. And it feels strange and uncomfortable And it's a big shift. It's a really big shift. There are so many of your daily routines and habits that have changed and it's hard to get a grip on it. And that's why I really wanted to do this episode because I know how important it is for you to settle into a routine so that you can keep doing what you need to do to earn an income and to run your life. So here's my experience. 12 years ago, my husband and I did a sea change. We moved from our businesses with busy offices and lots of staff and nearby friends and family to the opposite side of Australia where we knew nobody. And at the same time, I was doing a career change. (laughs) Why? I don't know. But it just happened that way. It seemed like an adventure. It seemed like fun. And as you can imagine, we went from being very well connected and very confident in our skills to having no external connections with others, no other close relationships nearby, spending all day with each other and grappling with a steep learning curve of doing something new and different than we were used to. Sounds a bit like what you may be going through right now. And for me, it took a long time to get my head around how I was going to operate in the world. I really felt like I'd lost my sense of purpose. I'd lost clarity on who I was and I wasn't sure what I stood for. And you might be feeling this way too right now. Maybe you've had to give up your job or change your job or you've suddenly faced the new and uncomfortable reality of facing up to your life, to being in the home environment as you work from home and trying to figure out who you are and what it all means to feel connected. And maybe as part of that, you're really questioning your capacity to live and work like this and whether you can cope. My answer to you is, yes, you can. You can absolutely cope with this. The secret is to figure out how to adapt and then to do it your way. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to walk you through four steps that I went through to be able to work from home and be productive and feel connected And I'm doing this and talking about this as an example of what's possible. I hope that hearing my story helps you to come up with your own ideas about how to transition into this working from home thing that we're all doing. Sound okay? Well, let's walk through the four steps. The first step that I did is to get connected with people. I feel like connection is the most important first step because without that sense of connection and feeling supported and knowing who's around you, 
you can quickly spiral into a sense of fear or doubt or lack of self-confidence. Being around other people gives you perspective and insights. It helps you to normalise your thoughts and feelings. And you know that when the chips are down, you have someone to turn to to talk to about that stuff. And when I first moved to rural New South Wales, I kind of intuitively knew that I needed some sort of connection to feel sane and normal and to have a sense that things were working well in my life, that beyond my little incubator with my husband, I had other things to make up the big mosaic of who I was and what I was interested in. My logical brain was actually telling me that I needed to make contacts for my business But underneath, emotionally, I think I was really missing the day-to-day camaraderie of the office with like-minded people. I was missing catching up with my friends and I was missing interacting with my family and I was missing all the stuff that I knew well, that sense of security around familiar people. So what I did when I first moved here was to start going to all different sorts of association events, social group events, sporting groups, and trying to meet people in different contexts. I was even talking to people in local shops. Really, I just wanted to figure out where my people were and how best to connect with them. So I got out there and talked to everybody, health practitioners, gym people, all sorts of people. And it was really eye-opening, let me say. Some people were really lovely, others were indifferent, and a couple were downright rude. I went into one business and said, hey, I'm new in town, I just came to say hi and connect and this is what I do. And the person said, oh, if you're looking for a job, we don't have any. And I said, no, no, I'm just coming to say hi and let you know who I am and we'll probably bum into each other. And She said, oh, where are you from? And I said, Perth. And she said, well, don't go flashing all your money around here. People don't like that. (laughs) I didn't say anything about my money (laughs) or how much I had. So I quickly figured out that that wasn't my kind of person. (laughs) It wasn't anything personal against me. It was just how that person was and not someone that I wanted to hang around. (laughs) So actually going out and meeting people was a great experience from that point of view. And I realised that I wanted to find smart, positive people who were interested in health and wellness, who liked brainstorming and being creative and who liked to laugh. I wasn't really clear on those things before because I'd been running in the hamster wheel of life. I'd been around a lot of people who were like-minded in my office and I had, I guess, made some assumptions about who those people were and what I was interested in. It actually took me to go out and meet a variety of people before I got really clear on who I did and didn't want to be around. And even if physical meetings are impossible right now or for any other reason at any, at any other time, there are still plenty of online communities that you can join and be part of. It's not quite the same as being face-to-face, but you can still have very open, authentic conversations with people online. I think one of the things that's great about connection is that you can really get to know people well You can get to know your neighbours, the people in your street, the people who run local businesses and the people who own the coffee shop down the road so that even without any friends nearby, even without the opportunity to travel to see those who are really close to you, you can have all of these great points of contact that help you to feel socially connected even if you don't know them that well. 
That's true in the extreme case of a sea, sea change like mine or even just in any sort of life change where you lack time or the ability to travel. And let me be clear, when you move into state, that's a big shift. You are going to be starting off with some fairly superficial relationships because it's pretty difficult to replicate friendships that have been going for 25 or 30 years. And so I had to learn to make peace with that and to know that I could build those relationships again in a new place or in a new context simply by showing up regularly in social situations where my tribe was. So that first tip is having to find those people. And I think it's really important that you then make an effort to contact those people regularly. It's important to know that when you work from home, and you're with yourself and maybe your partner 24 hours a day and possibly your kids, it can feel a bit claustrophobic. It's really essential to schedule in meeting opportunities so that you can get enough connection with others and enough variety in the types of conversations that you're having. So what could that look like for you? Maybe it could be having a daily trip to a local cafe to write a blog just to bump into people. Or it could be that during the week you schedule time slots to get out of the house intentionally and to go to places where you will have to be interactive, whether that be going to the shop or the gym or getting a massage or any other sort of circumstance. And at another level, if you feel like you need to be able to brainstorm ideas or validate your thoughts with other people in business, then you might need to think at another level. Perhaps you could hire a co-working space for a day or book a room in the local library or join your local chamber, chamber of commerce so you can meet other people in business who might like to get together and have coffee and brainstorm or meet at cafes or someone's home or via a Zoom meeting. All of these things are possible. It just requires a bit of creative brainstorming and also the fact that you're scheduling in those external touch points to get you out of the house or to get you out of your single track mind, focus on work and your household and into other people's lives. So important. So that was my first step was getting connected. And as you can probably see, it, it's a bit of a foundational step. Well, I think it is. Once you have that sense of security and being part of something and belonging and a plan for connecting with people, you'll be able to feel that very primal need to be part of a tribe. So step number two is to figure out what you need to do each day from home. And that's the planning side. Planning sounds like a simple thing but it can be challenging when your whole environment and schedule and context has changed when there's been an upheaval and a lot of things have shifted at once it can be a bit of a complicated thing to start planning I mean where do you start <laughs> but planning is super important especially if you're somebody who's used to following directions or collaborating with teams on how projects are going to be delivered or if you're prone to distraction or if you're someone who likes to procrastinate as soon as an obstacle comes up. Oh, gee, this is a hard thing. I can't quite figure out what to do here. Oh, actually, I need to do the washing. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? I've done that a million times. And so the easiest way to get your planning right is to start with a month at a time and map it out and then experiment. So let's look at what that could look like. Pick the next month ahead for example. The first thing to do is to block out all of your must-do activities like taking your kids to school or doing the shopping or 
visiting the doctor or anything else that you need to do and including your self-care activities like workouts and meal planning and so forth because without good food and exercise and a bit of relaxation you're not going to be good to anybody (laughs) once you've done that and the reason I well actually the reason I say you should plan one month at a time first is because you'll need to experiment with what works for you so after your must do things you've got to figure out how to work in this new context And what you'll find is that without the environment of the office, without the buzz of people around you, you may really notice that some days or sometimes in a day you'll have more energy than others or more focus or more creativity. It's going to vary. And you're no longer in a work environment where it doesn't matter how you feel, you have to get things done. Now you have a bit more self-responsibility. So that means you'll have to take some self-responsibility and work to your strengths. That's a great way to do it. So in this first month, your primary goal would be to understand your natural rhythm, your energy patterns, and then to adjust your schedule to fit around that, to do the focused and detailed stuff when you feel like doing that most, when your energy's best, and to find the times when you're most creative to do tasks that require that kind of thinking. I will say that there are definitely some ways that you can proactively change your state, change the way your brain's operating so that you can be more focused or analytical or creative, but I'm going to cover those in a separate podcast. That's its whole its whole entire episode or discussion. Right now I'm suggesting that you just figure out where your natural tendencies lie and work with them. So as part of that first month, you'll need to schedule any set work meetings that you have and any of the connection points you've defined. By now, your schedule should be getting pretty full because you've got your daily activities you need to do, your must-do things, your getting out of the house things and any set work meetings. Then there'll be some of the obvious things that you need to do, like reconciling invoices once a month or doing social media posts or submitting monthly reports. So you can schedule those obvious things in next. And by now you should be feeling pretty good. You should have identified some concrete regular tasks to do each week and you should have an idea of exactly when you'll do them. Maybe there'll be some flow in the way you work because you've been able to use your energies in the right way at the best times. The next task may not seem so intuitive, but it's important. It's the task of checking your email and social media, whether that's for work or pleasure. You might not normally schedule that kind of thing in a regular work environment, but at home where you're accountable to yourself and not so responsible to others, email and social media can become rabbit holes for a lot of people. Well, let's face it, they can be even at work. But the thing is that they can be massive time wasters and energy drains. And it's really important that you learn to harness your energy and work effectively rather than getting bogged down in the minutiae of email and social media. So one idea I have for you is to think about coming up with one or two time slots each day where you'll check emails, including allowing a bit of time to attend to immediate business afterwards. So let's say that you get up at eight in the morning 
and you decide you'll check your emails for the first time at 10 o'clock, you'll spend 10 minutes doing that. And if there are any actions that need to be scheduled or replied or resolved, you have allowed 20 minutes to do that, let's say. And then you could do that again later in the day. So that would be perhaps two 30-minute email slots for checking and taking immediate action and scheduling. You might not need that much. You might be able to get away with once a day. Or you might need a little longer depending on what sort of work you do. The same thing could happen with social media. If you use that for business, you can put in a time slot that you're going to do that and then step away from it. I was speaking to a client yesterday about the best time to schedule in the morning email shift. And what actually happens in the morning is it's a great time to be very creative. It's very good creative thinking time. And you may find that if you launch into email first thing in the day, it can lead you into this kind of hyper-responsive, detail-focused pattern that stops your creativity. So I encourage you to experiment for yourself. You may actually find it's best to do a block of work or a creative task first to feel like you've kicked a couple of goals before you do the first email check. So there's quite a few things in your schedule already. And aside from those regular obvious tasks that you need to do for work or business, there's another step, one final step for planning. And this is where you might need to be a little bit creative because you're going to have to work out how to deal with bigger project level tasks. And these maybe are more relevant to people who run their own business from home, who are entrepreneurs rather than working for someone else. But I want to mention them because they're important. I'm talking about the bigger tasks that you need to do that have many steps involved and perhaps involve other people. So they aren't really easy to identify or quantify. They're the things that normally whiz around in your head as, gee, I really need to make time to do that, like a website overhaul or to develop content for my membership site or to draft a 12-month project timeline. (laughs) They could be things that you haven't done before or that you might usually brainstorm with other people or that you might usually have guidance or direction for to complete or that involve getting other people's opinions or advice or expertise. They could be the sorts of tasks that you definitely need to break down into smaller steps and then there may be segments of those that require external help or review. So by now you get the picture that even if you're working for someone or yourself, you're probably going to have some sort of a project level task in your life that needs to be wrangled and put into your schedule. I've recently started using the Getting Things Done model by David Allen to tackle my projects and I'm going to explain that briefly here because it's been a real game changer for me to quantify and chunk down those bigger jobs into something tangible and actionable. You might have a different way of working with projects but I want to explain this model in case it's helpful for you. The idea of it is that you identify separate projects. So for me, I have a folder for each one of those projects on my computer and a sheet of paper or a blank document where I outline what the project is and what the main steps are that need to be completed and by when, just at a very big picture level. And I may have a time frame on that with a series of main steps. I want to give you an example to show what I mean. Let's say that my project is to overhaul my website. (laughs) That's a pretty big project with lots of steps, right? And some of those I won't know how to do. 
And I use this as an example because it was an actual project that I snoozed for over 40 weeks. It was written in my diary with a two-hour slot on a Friday afternoon. Revamp website. (laughs) And, of course, I'd get to Friday and I'd think, I don't know what that is. Um, I don't have any clarity or definition. Uh, What am I going to do? I'll just snooze that. So if your project is to do that, something like a website, then you need to break that down into main tasks. Perhaps it's revamping the homepage and revamping the services page and then revising the blogs. That could be your three major tasks. And then you could prioritise those main steps from most to least important. Maybe I've decided that the homepage is my most important, for example, and then I'll put that one first. And so then I'll think, well, what does it actually mean, revising the homepage? I would then take that down into some smaller steps. Perhaps those steps could be reading and updating the copy. It could be needing to take and put up some new photos. It could be needing to do SEO. For someone else, the task could mean changing the layout. So as you can see, It's going to be up to you as to how you break down the task, but you need to be very clear on what the individual actions are. And then you can assign those to specific time slots in your week. In this case, with reviewing the homepage copy, I might decide to allow myself an hour to do that because I'm fairly happy with it and I'll revise it. If I need more time, I might book another session for myself to do that. My advice to you is that if you think that something's going to take longer or if you're not sure, then you probably are best to add an extra hour to the end and to be prepared to have that second session later on if you need it to complete the task. You may need someone else's review if you're getting bogged down in perfection. So That's how to break down a project into moderate-sized tasks and then into smaller pieces. And then pick the very first task of the first part of the project and schedule it into your calendar, just that one task. Then go and do that task when when the time comes. And when you've completed it, figure out what the next task will be and schedule that in. So really you're working at a task-by-task, bite-by-bite way. And what that does is it avoids overwhelm and it helps you to get clear on navigating the project based on how the tasks unfold as they arise. The great thing about this is that we can't necessarily know all of the steps in the right order up front and it's actually possibly better to define the individual steps as you go because Our brains have a tendency to want to latch onto predefined schedules. Even if those schedules stop making sense or seem unrealistic, we want to keep sticking to them. So by just choosing the next action, it can break that cycle. Okay, the third step for working at home is to take brain breaks. Planning aside, there is something else that needs to happen when you work at home, and that is giving your brain a rest because... If you're at home stuck in front of your computer without any interactions, but let's assume you are going out to get those connections, you're going to get focused on your work and chances are you could end up working too much. 
I put my hand up. This has happened to me, especially in the beginning when I first started working at home and sometimes I fall into this trap. And especially if you're switching from one type of task for another, you need to give your brain a chance to switch gears. So assuming that you have connections and variability in your schedule, that's a great first step, but you may also need to give your brain a break even when you are in the rhythm of work. There's two types of breaks I want to talk about. The first is a simple short brain break while you're working so that you're not staring at your screen all day. So if you're not able to or haven't got any small tasks scheduled in between sections of work, you could walk out into the garden, you could go and take a shower, you could stare out into the distance to give your eyes a rest or you could listen to some music for a few minutes, you could close your eyes and meditate for 10 minutes using an app, you could do something that's going to shift you from one headspace into another and manipulate the way your brain's working. There are different ways to do it, but those are some examples of very short breaks. They could be five minutes or less, just to help you change gears and stay calm. The second type of break is taking a more extended gap in your work, and that's things like knowing when to switch off at the end of the day and having a set lunch break. It's so important to stand up and move around and eat mindfully and have a really good break rather than sitting at your desk all day in the slumped over desk posture, which will become your new asana and get digital eye strain and feel disconnected and snappy. You don't want any of those things to happen. But you need discipline to disconnect. It's important that you have rules and boundaries and know that when you stick to those, you're going to be powerfully productive when you are at work. So there's those micro brain breaks and those bigger extended breaks and finishing on time according to your boundaries. The last step for working at home is self-care. I coach a lot of business owners who work from home and their universal lesson that they all discover is that they need to do something for themselves first thing in the day in order to maintain emotional balance and to feel calm, to eat well and exercise in the rest of the day. Many of them have learned the hard way. That is, when all work and everyone else's needs come first, that's when they start reaching for the chocolate and the wine and the Weight Watchers subscription and they sleep poorly and feel flat and snappy or moody. I'm thinking of several clients who do one thing for themselves before starting their day and that allows them to do so much more and feel satisfied without needing to reach for comfort. They feel powerfully productive and calm and they sleep well. And those people are typically starting their day either with journaling or writing their goals or exercise of some sort or meditation or doing their creative work first or a creative pursuit like drawing or colouring in before all of the meetings and clients and email. There are other options. These are just a few of the things that some of my clients are doing to stay sane, grounded, happy and productive. And so let's wrap things up. There's a lot to working from home and it's going to be a period of adjustment. It might take you a year or more to really fully feel connected with and calm about working from home. But you can do it. It's about changing your micro habits. 
and I've suggested four main areas to start with. The first is establishing connections and a regular routine of getting out to see people or at least connecting online somehow. The second is planning and planning the tasks that you would normally have support with or help for and including planning in a way that creates breaks in the day so that you can get out and have those connections that we just spoke about. The third thing is to take brain breaks, which involves switching gears during the day to give you, your mind a chance to change over into the next type of work you're going to do, and also having great boundaries around when you start and finish work and taking lunch breaks. And finally, there's self-care. And for a lot of people that I work with, that means starting the day with something for themselves so that they feel like they've met their own needs first and are then better able to give to others and be productive. I would love to know what you're doing in terms of working from home. What are your plans? How are they rolling out? If you feel like having a chat, visit my website, melaniejwhite.com forward slash contact and drop me a line. I'd love to know how it's working out for you. I hope this has been helpful and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks for listening and bye for now.